All right, so um, I've been given this topic this morning about this really light topic about God's omnipotence. Um, and I told you, I told you this before, but I need to pay attention a little more because Scott gives me these topics and then he leaves town. Um, so we're going to take this topic of, of God's power, his omnipotence, and kind of unwrap it this morning. So but to start with, when you think of the word just in general of powerful, what comes to mind? The wind. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. Winter. What? Strength. Grace. The sea. The sun. The what? The ability to do anything. So, so that's kind of the word powerful. When you think of the word omnipotent, what comes to mind? So like God's omnipotent. Everything. <laughs> what else? Person with power. What? Purity. Anything else? NSA. <laughs> yeah. Complete control. As, so these are words that to describe this, this characteristic of God. And what you have to understand first off this morning is I'm going to try to try to explain to you something like the size of a pinhead that can fill this room. Because we have to understand God from our own limitation and perspective. Now, my, my name, Eric, actually means powerful. It means eternally strong. And it's, and it's kind of... Oh, laughing at me? I didn't give myself the definition. Come on. I have to start all over. No, but with that being my name, it was some as a characteristic I took upon myself as being strong. And even from an early age, I had strength. When I was in high school as a sophomore, I was outlifting the seniors on the football team. It, it, even in college, I was in the gym all the time. I was trying to be defined by my strength because I was not one of those persons you're going to ask to come over and help with your homework. But if you need something moved, that's probably the first person you thought of. And even later in life, uh, I was working in our London office at one point with a company I worked with. And I only found out this later in the project, but they actually referred to me as the Terminator. Just because of my size, because evidently people in London aren't that big. But all that is to say that even though this was a characteristic, a defining characteristic of myself, it was very finite. It was very fragile. Because when I was 27 years old, after a hip reconstruction surgery, all that was taken away. You know, after weeks of recovery, weeks in a body cast, trying to learn how to walk again, I vividly remember laying on the, the physical therapist's table on my back and her going, okay, lift your legs up. And with all the strength I used to have, I couldn't even lift my legs off the table. And that's what we have to understand is this finiteness, this fragility of power. Because we can think about uh, sports and sports figures, and they have this power, they have this strength, but sooner or later they get hurt or they retire, unless they're Tom Brady, they just keep playing and playing. Or we can think about the mind, someone like Albert Einstein, someone who came up with these incredible theories that took decades to actually unravel, but he too, his mind, faded. But then we think of like political power. And he, across the board, throughout history, no matter how powerful someone was, it was overthrown or it was changed. 
So our power is very fragile. It's very finite when we're trying to talk about someone who's infinite in their power. And that's what that verse that Whitney read in Ephesians 1 was talking about this tiny little world that we have, but the power of God. You see things like in verse 19, the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe, according to the working of His great might, that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And He put all things under His feet and gave Him as head over the things in the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills all in all. So I have a lot to cover over the next couple of hours, so I hope you, uh, you're ready to get into this. And uh, you see who's paying attention here. But we have a lot of verses to cover, so keep your Bibles ready, keep your pen ready, you can write them down. Um, this is a subject that's from Genesis to Revelation, so we're going to kind of look at a lot of verses this morning. In order to understand this better, I'm kind of break this down in two separate ways. I'm going to first look at what does omnipotence mean in general, and then I want to look specifically at what it means for us in talking about God's omnipotence. So first off, in looking at what this means in general, the first thing you need to understand is there is nothing God can't do. So there's nothing beyond His control, there's nothing He cannot do, and He's only limited by His goodness, which means that He has unlimited power and He can only do anything that's holy and wise. In Job 37, 23, we see this when it says, The Almighty is beyond our reach and exalted in power. In His justice and great righteousness, He does not oppress. And in Job 11, 7-11, Can you fathom the mysteries of God? Can you probe the limits of the Almighty? They are higher than the heavens above. What can you do? They are deeper than the depths below. What can you know? Their measure is longer than the earth and wider than the sea. If he comes along and can find you in prison and convenes a court, who can oppose him? Surely he recognizes deceivers, and when he sees evil, does he not take note? We can see this, this power displayed in Genesis 1-3, and, and beginning in 3 and on it, and it says, and God, and watch this word right here, God said, let there be light, and there was light. God spoke, and the earth was created. Now, to understand this a little better, I, I know Jim, you built a couple houses in there, haven't you? Just a few? Yeah. So, I'm assuming there's this, there's this point where you have to kind of go and buy a bunch of supplies, right? Like, like, what things do you need to buy in order to build a house? At least five? <laughs> like, timber, roofing. So, so I'm assuming when you get all this stuff and it kind of arrives on site, you just say, let it be, and everything forms. And Jim said, see? So that's what happens whenever you're building. That's why you can build so many of them? It's a little process. Yeah, so you, like, you, you can't speak and you can't like, you don't throw it all at the house and it all forms. That doesn't happen either. Well, I'm a little disappointed, but. But that's just how... What? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, 
See, I, I got to watch who I call on, man. But that's just it. Like, if we're building a house, it takes time. We have to follow these meticulous plans and cut the wood exactly how it's stayed in order to get an exact spot that it needs to be in. God spoke. And it created. God spoke and it came into being because of His power and because of what He can possess. And to understand this a little better, I'm going to look at a few things to, to understand God's greatness when He spoke and how things came into being. If we take the sun... The sun is a huge sphere of gas made of hydrogen, helium, carbon, nitrogen, oxygen. The sun, the surface of the sun is, is over 10,000 degrees Fahrenheit and it's about 93 million miles away. The Earth, in one complete rotation in 24 hours, has to spin at about 1,000 miles per hour. And in that process of spinning, it has to move at an average speed around the sun at 67,000 miles per hour. And the Earth's axis, it's tilted at 23.5 degrees. If every, any one of those things change, it has a dramatic effect on the Earth. If we get too close to the sun, we burn. If we get too far away, we freeze. If we just take the tilt of the Earth and move it by 0.1 degrees, if we go from 23.5 degrees to 23.4 degrees, the North Pole shifts 100 miles, and the the uh, equator shifts 100 miles, causing dramatic changes in Earth's atmosphere and temperatures in those two areas. Everything is held together on this Earth in a very fragile space. And that's why in Genesis 1, 9-10, it says, And God spoke. And God said, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together in one place. Let there be dry land appear, and it was so. God called the dry land Earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas and God saw that it was good. God spoke and it came into being. He didn't need a hammer. He didn't need a magic wand. He didn't need a glove with infinity stones so he could snap. He spoke and it came into being. And that shows his power. Let's take this a little more personal and look at our, look at our own human bodies because we all have one. The human body contains a variety of complex systems and organs that make us breathe involuntarily, makes our heart beat autonomously, and makes our brain functions in ways that the humans can... We cannot create a human computer that matches the brain and the nervous system in our bodies. When you take just the eye's function, the eye has required this vast array of chemical processes that happen in order to see light and to see color. And then there's this amazing ability for us to not only see, but to comprehend what we're seeing in order to turn it into information. If we take that a little further and look at the brain, the brain is the center of a complex computer system greater than anything that man's ever built. When, we, when man, when scientists tried to recreate one second of human brain activity, it took them 83,000 processors to do this. It took 40 minutes with the combined muscle of these 83,000 processors just to get this one second of biological brain processing time, and they used 1 million gigabytes of storage. 1 million. Just to create one second of brain synapses. When we are honest and get truly molecular at atomic level of creation <clears throat> about our world's function and the complexity of the human body, we can use science to explain it away, but there's a fragility 
to how everything sits. And that's hard to explain. And we've all seen it from the standpoint of, of someone who is seemingly healthy just followed from a heart attack or brain aneurysm. We see it when a tsunami or hurricane hits. And this inexplicable power that comes aboard. But there's this power that God has and possesses. And we see it over and over again in what God does. We see in Paul states in Romans 1.20, where the invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. And things that have been made, so they are without excuse. Jeremiah talks about this a little more in Jeremiah 32.17. Ah, sovereign Lord, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. Now, within this power, I do understand, if you're talking about this ultimate power, then why do bad things happen? Why doesn't God stop some of the bad things on this earth? Because he's all-powerful. He could speak and go away. I want you to kind of marinate on that a little bit, think about it a little bit, and I'm going to come back to it at the end of this message to talk about it, because I don't think I can talk about this without addressing that point. So, what we have to understand is what is all inspiring to us is really nothing to God. Because he can speak in creation terms. So the flip side of this coin is there's nothing that God can't do, but there's nothing we can do. In Daniel 4.35 says, All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does what he will with the host of heavens and the inhabitants of the earth. So what you have to understand about this is there's nothing we can do to bend his will. There's nothing we can do to earn his love. And there's nothing we can do to get on his good side. There's nothing we can do. Just think about it for a moment. Because when we we get in those situations that are kind of sticky in here, when you go, God, if you just get me out of this, I'll give you my life. Ever had those things? Well, guess what? He already has your life. And here he has everything that that you have because he created you. What about God? If you if you just get out of the get me out of this, I'll love you more. That, you know, I'll, I'll give you my love. Well, guess what? You know, if God appeared right here in all His glory, all of us would be on our knees battling because of His glory. His that love we would give freely because if we see His presence, so He has that as well. So what we have to understand is there's nothing we can do. But what's amazing about this, and don't miss this point is that he loved us. You know, it says in Romans 8 that there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God. He doesn't need us. Yet in all the ways he could show the love of Jesus Christ to this world, he chose us as his vessel. How completely unreliable is that? Yet he chose us and he loved us anyway to serve his purpose in Christ on this earth. And that's what's so amazing. Even though there's nothing we can do, He loves us anymore. <clears throat> so now we kind of understand what God's omnipotence means in general. Let's look at what it means specifically uh, about um, this power that God has. Because if God is all-powerful, then no matter your circumstances, what you have to realize is that He's got this. God's got this. There's nothing too complex, out of whack, overwhelming, or damning that He can't take care of. No matter your circumstances or what you're dealing with right now, God's got this. 
So say this with me. He's got this. There you go. We'll start with that. So if we truly believe in God and we choose to follow Him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and that He has absolute power, then there's a few things we need to choose in how we live our life. Now, if you, if you haven't chosen to follow Christ, that's fine. This is kind of the deep end of the pool, and trust me, I'm way beyond my pay grade right now. But just stick with me and just listen to what we have to say about what God has to say about His own omnipotence. There's three things we need to choose when it comes to God if we understand His power and we believe that He's got this. And the first is faith. If God is a big God and He's got this, then we have to trust in that knowledge and trust in what He has and what He can say to us. And in doing that, there's a few things, there's a few ways that it will express itself. The first off, if we're going to have faith and choose faith, then we have to choose transformation over information. Choose transformation over information. And this is Romans 12, too, where Paul says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. God's saying you to renew your mind through transformation because God's power will always be greater than anything the earth has to offer. Mark says something similar in Mark 8, 36. Who cares if you gain everything you want? Gain your whole world, but lose your soul. And how powerful is that? Because we live in the information age. We live in an age where we consume more than any other part of history. You actually consume more in a day than people 200 years ago consumed in their lifetime. But if we think about all the blog posts and social media and news reports and videos that we consume, how much of that is actually purposeful for transformation? I, I would dare to say 90% of the things you consume are worthless. Don't mean anything. Yet we constantly consume and constantly consume with no end in sight because we become consumers over doers and start trying to change who we are. I'm in this, it's called a mastermind. And so it's about eight of us writers and entrepreneurs and, and business owners that we get together virtually from across the U.S. Uh, every Monday or every other Monday to talk about our businesses. And, and during that time, one or two of us will get the hot seat. So we get to talk about the problems that we have or the problems that we're facing. Now, at this point in our careers and our lives uh, as, as writers and, and business owners, you know, we, we, we kind of have all the information we need. We've been through the coaching. We've been through the, the classes. We have the information we need. So when someone's in the hot seat and they're presenting this problem, you know, about 20% of the time we're like, okay, you know, you should probably do A, B, and C. Because that worked for me is how that works. And they do it. But 80% of the time when they're presenting a problem to us, we're just like, just do it. Just get it done. Because at this point, we know what to do. We're just not doing it. We want to consume more information. But we got to make the phone call. we got to send the email. we got to have the lunch. We've got to take that information and actually put it into practice. Because as, as an entrepreneur, as a, as a writer, I could be inundated with information. And the problem with doing that is when I'm in a consumer mode, when I'm consuming not producing because you can't do both at the same time and we've taken this mentality into the church we've taken this mentality when it comes to god we either don't want to consume or we want to over consume and and this goes all the way back to the garden of eden 
Because Eve in, in Genesis 3 1, when she's in the garden, she says, Did God really say not eat of the fruit of the tree? I mean, she's questioning his authority instead of bowing under his power. And we've been doing it ever since, folks. Looking for more information, looking for more ways to understand. Because transformation or change won't happen until we use that information to transform our lives in Christ. You know, I, I hear quite often, uh, when I was a pastor, I, I'd hear these people coming to me and say, you know what, we need more meat. We need more scripture. And I agree with that, and you do. But in the back of my mind, because I couldn't say this out loud, was that I was thinking like, well, what are you doing with the meat you already have? What are you doing with the scripture you already know? Because, man, I'm still trying to figure out love your neighbor. I still don't get that one down. And that is tough. But when I learn it, and I let God transform my life, it transform my action. So we have to choose transformation over information. Next, we need to choose sacrifice over gain. It says in Romans 12, 1, which is before the verse we just read, I appeal, I appeal to you, Therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And this kind of goes back to that spiritual mentality where we think we must possess to be comfortable. So we buy, we buy, and we buy. And we buy some more because we can't get comfortable. The irony in this life is the more we sacrifice our own lives, the less we realize we need. And I've read numerous studies about the benefits of sacrifice and simplicity. In fact, I've never read anything negative about people sacrificing their lives and living more simply. Because we puts us where God created us to be, and that's focusing on Him and not our own lives. Because we gain and consume out of our own insecurities. We gain because we want security. We consume because we want comfort. And we indulge because, Why? I deserve it, huh? Yeah, I deserve it. We need the new car because it shows status. We need a new house to show we made it. And we show control over others because we have to prove we're worthy in that manner. But if God is all-powerful, the only place that we're ever going to find security, worth, and comfort is where? Where? In Him. That's the only place we're going to find those things. The more we attempt to gain for the sole purpose of fulfilling our own lives, the farther we get from God. Yet the more we sacrifice, the closer we move toward worship in a holy setting. Because remember, God's got this. He's in control. And we're only going to find our worth and sacrifice in Him. Otherwise, as Mark stated, who cares if you get it all? You can lose your soul. And the next choice we have to make is in hope. We have to choose hope if we believe God is a big God and He's got this. And there's a couple ways we're going to manifest this. And the first way is to choose worship over criticism. Now, the word criticism, I use it can be used the word as judgment as well. That place where we think we have enough information or not enough information to call someone else to task. And we live in kind of a critical and judgmental society, don't we? Like, oh, you could probably pull your phone out and open up a news app or your social media app and it'd take you like 10 seconds to find something negative or critical. And, and this even cracks me up like on a, like Gunnison Marketplace. 
you've all seen this, when someone posts something and then someone will make a remark, like, that's a piece of junk. Why are you going to comment on something you're not even going to buy? But we feel the need to. And and I remember a few years ago, I bought a brand new truck, and I was pretty proud of it. I was pretty excited about it. But it was a Chevy. And so I had these Ford friends. Why'd you buy a Chevy? That's a piece of junk. Like, why would you say that to me? I just got, I just bought a new car and I'm proud of it. And all you Ford people out there, I know who you are. So. But we have this need to be critical and judgmental of people. And, and it, it's to our detriment. Because it puts us in a God-like complex of thinking we know what is best. And this criticism bleeds over in what we feel about God. Because if we're critical of everyone else, we're going to be critical of God. Just like Eve was in the garden. We need to stop thinking we can do better than God and simply worship. Because think about this for a moment. Do you really think there's a moment in history across the spans of time around the world where you could have gone, you know, God, if you'd asked me, I would have done this. But we think that comes in. But we're just perceiving it through our small, finite little reality of lives. But we have to have that hope and choose that worship over criticism. Because no matter how bad life seems, no matter how bad your circumstances, life or health, God has this. We worship a God who created this universe. He parted the Red Sea. He held the sun in the sky so Joshua could battle. And he hung on the cross for our sins. I think he's got this. And we have to believe in that hope. And not be critical of everything around us. For when we worship, the whole act of worship is humbling ourselves before God. It's releasing our control over to Him and breaking our preconceived ideas of God and letting God be God. In the act of worship, we find a freedom in this life we'll never find outside of Him. We don't have the need to be critical because we know in worship of an all-powerful God that we are His creation. And we love Him wholeheartedly. And if we're going to choose hope, the next thing we need to do is choose prayer over worry. Anybody worry? I'm the only one? Okay, that's good to know. <clears throat> I can move on then. No, we're, we're more stressed, we're more worried, and we're more overwhelmed than any other time in history, which is why drug abuse is on the rise, alcohol abuse is on the rise, personal harm and suicide are on the rise, and there's no indication in everything I've read that there's anything to slow this down. Because we worry about everything. We take all these little stresses of life, and they ended up the big ones. Then we have our big stresses of life, and they, they just kind of mount on one another. And if you're like me, it's easy to go to worry. It's easy to go to worry. My family and I are, are kind of dealing with a, a thing right now that, that we're, it can consume our lives. And, and we, instead of praying at times, I just let, I go to that worry. And when I go to the worry and I start thinking about it, I get anxious. I get overwhelmed. I, I go to places my mind shouldn't go. But in that same instance, if I go to prayer, and I take it to God, there's peace. There's the understanding that God does have this, even if it doesn't turn out the way I want it to. And there's power. And if we're going to live in hope and believe in a big God, that we should always be going to prayer instead of worry. You know, Jesus tells us in Matthew 6, 26, do not be anxious about your life. Do not worry. Kind of the same wording from Paul in Philippians 4, 6. Don't be anxious about anything. 
but in everything by prayer and supplication, which it means requesting, asking, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. It's not always the easy path that we do it, right? It's, it's much easier for me to go to worry than prayer. But if I believe in a big God, then I should be praying about everything. I'm leaving it up to him. Because he's got this. And really the last choice we need to make is to choose love. As 1 Peter states in 1 Peter 4, 8, love covers a multitude of sins. Now obviously this is a topic I could speak the whole year on and probably not scratch the surface. But we have to know in choosing love, we're believing that he's served a God. We're believing in what he tells us and loving one another because he loves us no matter what. And we're so undeserving of that love. Now, if you're truly going to believe and lean into God's power, then you need to do two things. You need to ask why. Or you need to ask how and ask when. How are you going to let God's power, His might and His word transform you? And when are you going to start? When are you going to do this? Because otherwise, this is only information and not transformation. And transformation is our goal. Now, if you're not... If you haven't followed Christ, again, I get it. And this is why to absorb. Your head might be spinning and you need to marinate on this a bit. Trust me, I've been doing it for a long time, still trying to understand it. And you're not alone. I mean, all throughout the Bible, people who saw God, who saw His miracles firsthand, had a hard time coming. Yeah, with all this information, there's really only two paths you can take. Because you can choose to stay on your finite, fragile path and fake what little control you have I don't want to burst your bubble, but you don't have as much control as you think. You're constantly relying on your own circumstances to make you happy. Or you can truly believe that God is a big God and that He has this. And in that knowledge, let His grace and mercy overflow to live the most amazing life imaginable in Christ. Now getting back to that that question of if God is so powerful, why do bad things happen? And I've wrestled this for a long time. Uh, when I'm in Peru and I talk to the missionaries there and I hear the horrible stories of what these children endure from their families, their own families, before they get to the orphanage, it's horrible. It'll make you cringe. Why do we have sex trafficking? Why do we have poverty? Why do we have famine? And we can sit and ask God, why don't you stop this? And the only thing I could come to you, the only conclusion I could come to, and again, this is this is my conclusion, so don't take it as biblical theology. But as we're sitting here going, God, why don't you stop this? I truly think God's looking down at us and going, why don't you stop this? I've given you the power by the by the blood that's shed on the cross by Jesus Christ. I've given you the power. I've given you the power to stop sex I've given you the power to stop the famine around the world or help widows and orphans. What are you doing about it? Because every one of you in here has something in the back of your mind that keeps coming up. I guarantee you. Every one of you has something that you're like, well, that's crazy. Of course it is. If it was easy, you would do it. I heard John Ortberg this week in a sermon say, 
small souls have small problems. Because you're thinking about where your next paycheck is going to come from. You're thinking about that noisy neighbor that, that's always causing you problems. You're thinking about what's going to make you happy and comfortable. But big souls have big problems. Big souls struggle with poverty around the world. They struggle with sex trafficking. They struggle with the, the pains of humanity. And that's what God is calling us to. Because if we serve a big God, a powerful God, shouldn't that cause the things beyond what we think are even possible? I know 13 years ago when, when Steve Harrell and I sat down to talk about a camp for children of fallen soldiers, it was insane. It didn't make any sense whatsoever. We knew nothing about camps. We didn't even know about hurting children. Except our own did. But that was another story. But we just stepped out on faith. Stepped out to help these kids that we knew needed something. And we didn't even know what they needed. <clears throat> we believed in a big God and that He would do big things. And over that time, hundreds of children have come through our program and been affected in ways we don't even know about. As we wrap this up, and it's a lot, trust me, I really just kind of want to leave you with the challenge of what is God calling you to? Are you living the life of a small soul which is only focused on self? Or do you believe in a big God? And do you believe that He's calling you to something far greater than you could ever imagine? Is it going to be easy? By no means. Does He got it? By all means. If we rely on Him. Let's pray. Lord God, I just want to thank You for Your Word and thank You for Your infinite power, Lord. Even though we can't even comprehend what it looks like. But we know it's through that power that great things happen. That you use, use us in mighty ways that we may not even see and understand at this point. And I, I just kind of call your presence here in this place, Lord. I and mean, we've seen you do mighty things in this town. We've seen you do mighty things through this church we're going to move into. Just prepare our hearts individually for what you're doing in our lives and corporately for what you're doing in this town. And let us focus on you in everything that we do. We pray these things in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. As the worship band plays, I just want you to kind of think about uh, what was said. And if you if you need prayer, I'm going to be over in the corner. I'd love to pray with you. Uh, if you just feel that you know, God's speaking to you something in the back of your mind. Don't leave this place without without prayer, without going to someone and talking more about it.